Okay, sometimes it is difficult to see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. In fact, we can get quite despondent, as in this life we watch the wicked prosper. But we know that our God is good and just, and as we'll read in Malachi tonight, he has no such trouble discerning the difference. So can we please turn to um, page 676 in our Bibles, and we're reading Malachi 3, 6 to 18. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord, yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possessions, I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Tonight's second reading comes from Romans chapter 14, verse 1 to 15, verse 13. That can be found on page 804 of the Pew Bibles. Accept accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. 
For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear with the, with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbour for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written... The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, so that, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns, sing hymns to your name. Again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you people. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray Romans 15, verse 13, for us as a church as we sit under his word tonight. Father, I pray that you, the God of all hope, would fill each one of us here tonight with all joy and peace 
as we trust in you so that we may overflow with hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, Tonight I want to talk about uh, disagreements and disputes. Uh, Disagreements and disputes within our church family. So, So how do you and I relate when we differ on some issue? How do we continue to love each other when we think differently on a certain matter? You see, disputes and disagreements are very damaging for God's church. If you have a difference of opinion within a church family, you can be made to feel guilty and judged and condemned. Uh, You can be bullied into thinking a certain way. You can be bullied into acting a certain way that goes against your conscience. And disputes and disagreements are very damaging for God's church in terms of the way that we're seen from the outside. Because we claim to be a people who are loving like Jesus. But when we disagree and squabble and fight and argue, the gospel of Christ doesn't seem particularly attractive, does it? Let me take some examples. Let's meet... Uh, Four Christians, they all love Jesus. Let's call them Jenny, John, Jack, and Joan. So Jenny walks into church. She loves Jesus. Uh, She's a new Christian, and she comes to church by the bridge at 5 o'clock on a Sunday night. It's the night where we're talking about our our celebration Sunday, where we're going to baptize all the new members who have come to faith recently. And Jenny thinks, oh, I'm a new believer I was baptized as a baby, but I've never been baptized as a a believer, so I think I should think about baptism. And she talks to someone after church, and this leader is very strong and very opinionated, and says, you haven't been baptized as a believer? You're not a full believer then. You have to be baptized as a believer by full immersion, otherwise you're not really saved. And she talks to somebody else, and they say, if you've been baptized as a baby, then you can't be re-baptized again. And so she leaves confused. And she leaves questioning whether she's really saved. Uh, Let's meet Jack. Jack comes from a very conservative church family. And he's new at 5 p.m. church by the bridge. And people are very welcoming to him. And they say, oh, let's go out for dinner tonight. And they said, oh, we're going to the Kirby Hotel. Now that for Jack is a real stumbling block because he's been taught that Christians don't go to the pub. But he goes anyway. And then when he gets there, he finds that these so-called Christians are drinking alcohol. And that for him is a real stumbling block because Christians have been taught not to drink according to his church family. And so Jack is left with this dilemma. Now do I just drink to fit in or do I go with my conscience? Let me meet Joan. Joan comes to 8 o'clock church and she walks into traditional 8 o'clock church and she sees the minister dressed in jeans and wearing an earring and there's drums in church. And she thinks, I can't worship here. How can I possibly worship where the minister's wearing jeans? Or let me meet John. John comes from a very charismatic church and he comes to 5 o'clock church by the bridge and I have to say, he leaves here feeling judged, condemned, 
and theologically analysed. Because John just naturally just raises his hand in worship. That's what he's always done to worship God. But he can feel all those eyes piercing into his back. How can he possibly be a Christian and raise his hand in worship? Those are the kind of matters that we're going to talk about tonight. Small matters that we can disagree on. The mode of baptism, raising your hands in worship, drinking alcohol, the clothes that you wear to church. They're the kind of issues that we can disagree about. They're actually the kind of issue is, is okay for Christians to disagree about. But they are the kind of issues that can divide a church and cause people to stumble in their faith. I know people who have left this church because they feel judged and condemned over those kind of issues. So how do you love each other when you disagree on these disputable matters? That's the issue in Romans chapter 14. Uh, Paul divides the church into two groups. When it comes to this particular issue, there are two basic groups, and he calls them the strong and the weak. Look at 14 verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. Or down to 15 verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. He says that there's a strong in faith and there's a weak in faith. He's not talking about your physical strength. He's not talking about the, the strength of your character. He's talking about your assurance of faith. The strong in faith are the people who have grasped that they're saved by grace. And because they're saved by the grace of God in, in, in our Lord Jesus Christ, they, are, they know that they're free from rituals. They're, they're free from rules. They're strong in their faith. Uh, but some believers are, are weak in faith. They know they're saved by grace. They love Jesus, but they still feel this, this pull of certain rituals and rules. Their conscience won't allow them to do certain things. In this particular passage, Paul talks about food laws and, and Sabbath days. He's talking about the Christians in, in the early church where they know that Jesus has declared all food clean, and they do love Jesus, but there's something about their conscience that just won't allow them to eat certain food. Or they know that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and they know that they don't have to keep certain festival days, but there's something in their conscience that they won't allow them to work on the Sabbath or to play soccer on the Sabbath, whatever it is. And Paul says the problem is that you've got these weak in faith doing church with the strong in faith, and that can be a real problem. Now, of course, for us, the food laws and the Sabbath laws are not particularly relevant, are they? In fact, one of the problems in preparing this sermon is we've kind of gone so far in our freedom in Christ there don't seem to be many issues that we are left to struggle with. So 50 years ago, if I was preaching this sermon, I could talk about how do you love the Christian who thinks you can't go dancing, or how do you love the Christian who thinks you can't go to the movies. And, but none of those things are issues anymore. But the kind of issue we've got to grapple with tonight is how do you love the person who thinks that Christians shouldn't drink? How do you love the person who thinks differently to you on 
the role of women in church or on infant baptism or on the frequency of the Lord's Supper? How do you love the person who insists that you must raise your hands to worship or who insists that you must not raise your hands to worship? How do you love each other when you think differently? I like what Ray Stedman said, the, the favorite indoor sport of Christians is trying to change each other. The favorite indoor sport of Christians is trying to change each other so we all think the same. So how do you love each other? Here's the basic principle. Here's your memory verse for the week. Romans 15, verse 7. Memorize this verse. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. Accept one another. If you're the weak Christian with your troubled conscience, accept the strong Christian. Don't condemn him or her for the freedom in Christ. If you're a strong Christian, don't flaunt your freedom. Don't cause offense to the weaker Christian. Just accept one another. Don't segregate into different congregations and meet at different times to, to cope with your differences. Accept. That word means welcome. It means embrace. It means love. Because that's what the gospel does, doesn't it? It unites us. Let's work through this passage. 14 verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak. They might be immature. They might be untaught. They might even be mistaken. But when there's someone in church who thinks differently on a disputable matter, how do you relate to them? He doesn't say tolerate them. He doesn't say correct them. He doesn't say preach at them. He doesn't say ignore them. He says accept them. Welcome him. Receive him with kindness and love. You see, we can disagree on disputable matters. I hope you know that we can disagree on disputable matters. What are these disputable matters of verse 1? Paul is not advocating an open church theology. You, know, you can believe what you want and you can live how you want because everybody's welcome here. He's not saying that. He's not saying accept the person who denies justification by grace alone. He's not saying accept the person who says that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. These disputable matters are not core doctrinal issues. Paul has spent 11 chapters trying to get us to think rightly about sin and forgiveness and justification and election and assurance. We must protect and defend doctrine. And he's not talking about agreeing on behavioral matters. where The the scriptures are very clear and they say God says get rid of all malice and rage and anger and slander and gossip. So we can't accept the person who is unrepentant as a slander or a gossiper. He's not saying except everybody. He's talking about these disputable matters in verse 1. Literally, matters of indifference. And I think he's saying, you know, we might not all agree on the attitude to alcohol consumption or spiritual gifts or the movies that you're permitted to watch or the style of music in church or whether you can wear shorts into the church building. But please don't divide over those issues. And please don't turn the church into some kind of debating chamber where you interrogate each other and you're suspicious of each other. You ever know those churches where 
it's harder to join the church than it is to enter the kingdom of God. Because you've got a list after list after list of things that you must agree with and must do before you can join that church. We accept one another. And that's what makes church such a, a beautifully bizarre place, isn't it? We're united in Christ, but we can agree to disagree on certain things. And I wish that I had heard this sermon as a, as a young pastor coming out of Bible college 12 years ago. Because I came out of Bible college with an enthusiastic, armed with my biblical theology, know-it-all attitude. And I was so black and white on everything. And I have to admit, I turned everything into a gospel issue. Evangelists are good at that. We turn personal taste issues or stylistic issues into gospel issues. And when someone disagreed with me, I would preach at them and I would look down on them and I would quarrel with them. Why did I do that? I think I was just very proud. I wanted to be right about everything. And I think I was fearful. It's easier to coexist with people when you see eye to eye on everything. And perhaps God could change me through their opinions. Now here's the principle, accept one another, just as Christ accepted you on these disputable matters. How do you do that? It's about your attitude and your actions. Let's look at our attitude. Paul says, adjust your attitude to people. In church, start seeing each other as God sees them. In church, start seeing people through that lens called grace and gospel and Jesus. Because if God has accepted people, who are you to not accept them? Look at verse 2 with me. The issue is food. One man's faith allows him to eat everything. He's free in Christ to eat all food. Another man whose faith is weak, he, he's tied to the food laws and to eating kosher food, well, he eats only vegetables. How do these two guys relate? The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. This is the, the issue, for God has accepted him. God has accepted the man who eats everything. God has accepted the man who eats only vegetables. So who are you not to accept this person? Stop playing God. We accept people because God has accepted them in the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. And you accept one another because Jesus is our master. We are not masters of each other. That's verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? You're a servant of Christ, not a servant of the other people here. It's that, that ugly part of us who, who loves it to lord over people and parade our superiority. Well, please remember that Jesus is Lord, not you. When it comes to Sabbath days, verse 5, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers it every day alike. Well, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So switch on your brain, reach a decision, but then live for your Lord Jesus Christ. Another reason to adjust your attitude is that God is accepted, Jesus is Lord, but also please remember that your, your family, the person sitting next to you who thinks differently to you is still your brother and still your sister. That's the word he uses in verse 10. Uh, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? 
Why do you look down on your brother or sister? Back down to verse 13. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Down to verse 15. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Uh, When you put on the gospel spectacles, you start to see that person who thinks differently, not as your enemy, but as your brother or sister in Christ. Even part of those families where there's been that family dispute, often over money, often over that feeling of neglect or favoritism. And those families that can't coexist, that can't be in the same room, that is deeply sad, isn't it? But in church, when we've been united through the blood of Jesus, we can agree to disagree. But please don't forget, you're still family. And remember that Jesus is your judge. We don't judge people because God will judge us. Verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on that brother who thinks differently? We will all stand before God's judgment seat. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So don't place other people in the dock with your rules and your laws. God is a judge, not you. See what he's saying? The best way to see people is God has accepted us. Jesus is our Lord. We are family. God is our judge. And you see people through that lens. But it's not just the way that you see people. It's the way that you act towards them. So adjust your attitude and act in, in love. Uh, Paul says, put no stumbling block. Verse 13, make up your mind. Have a conscious decision not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. He says, think before you act. Think about the consequences of your action. The key phrase is in verse 15. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. See what he's saying? It is possible to act in a way that causes somebody who is loved by God, forgiven by God, saved by grace, to stumble and become distressed just by the way that you act towards them. I'll give you a very personal example. I was doing some uh, mission work in India back in 2005. Carl was there, weren't you, Carl? Yeah, 2005. We were were preaching, we were teaching, we were training pastors. On day three, someone, a a local Indian, came up to me and very discreetly took me aside and said, do you realize that it's actually quite quite hard for some of the Christians here to hear what you're saying? I said, oh, why is that? Oh, because you're wearing an earring. And part of me went, that's crazy. Like, of course I can wear an earring. I'm free. He went on to explain to me that in that particular culture that men wearing earrings uh, was actually not a Christian thing to do. At that moment, I had a choice to make. I could stand up for my rights and uh, keep on preaching wearing my earring. Well, I could just do this. It's very simple. You just take it out and put it onto one side. If that's a stumbling block to them here in the gospel of Christ, the way to act in love, take out the earring and to love my brother and sister. You see, you may be fully convinced about something about the faith. And you might be correct. 
But if you're acting in, in a way towards your brother or sister that's causing them to stumble, then get rid of it and act in love. This came up last year at our parish council. We formed a policy for alcohol here at Church by the Bridge on site. And we said, this site is going to be a dry site. No alcohol served. I had countless emails from people complaining about that and telling me how ridiculous that was. We're free in Christ to drink alcohol in moderation. Of course you are. But if us serving alcohol on this premise is going to be a stumbling block to one person in a relationship with God, the right thing to do, the way to love them, is not to serve alcohol. Please think about what you do and what you say and think, am I causing my weaker brother or sister to stumble in their faith? That's the principle. He's pretty strong in verse 15, isn't he? If your brother is distressed... You're no longer acting in love. Don't destroy your brother. Oh, don't seriously damage their discipleship. Don't ruin their relationship with God by flaunting your freedom. He goes on to say in verse 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, so watch what you do. Verse 19, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and a mutual edification. Don't destroy the work of God, that is the, the reconciliation, the church that God has brought together. Don't destroy that by, by your pig-headedness about what you can and can't do. Sure, all food is clean. Jesus taught that, Mark chapter 7. But it's wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. So maybe God is saying to you tonight, it's good to become a vegetarian for the sake of other people, or it's good to become a teetotaler for the sake of other people, or it's good not to raise your hands in worship for the sake of other people, or it's good to raise your hands in worship for the sake of other people. But the loving thing to do is think what's going to build them up, what's going to encourage them, rather than always think about me. Now, isn't that what makes the gospel so countercultural, because the world will tell you, think about you, think about you, all about you. And God says, when you walk into the church, it's not about you, it's about everyone else around you. How can you encourage other people? How can you build up other people? So think before you act, think before you speak, and act in a way that is loving. And if you want someone to follow, who better to follow than our Lord Jesus Christ? 15 verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Carry, support those who are weaker in the faith. And not please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ didn't please himself. It's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So look at Christ. Don't patronize other people for what they think. Don't show your frustration and say, oh, how ridiculous do you think about that? No. Look at Christ, put self away, and think, how can I act in a way that is loving and edifying for them? Now, please hear me rightly. I'm not saying that if we do that, all our differences will disappear. 
That's what makes the diversity of church so refreshing. There are so many disputable matters that you and I can think differently on. Not talking about doctrine, agree on doctrine, not talking about, about unrepentant sin, you must address that. But when it comes to stylistic matters, we can agree to disagree, can't we? And if we do, if we're a church accepting one another, adjusting our attitudes and acting in love, what's the result? Look at the end of verse 7, 15 verse 7. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God, to your Father. Isn't that refreshing? It's not about whether you're right or wrong. It's about whether your Father is praised and honoured and glorified. And maybe we as a church need to pray verse 5 and 6 together. And may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give us a spirit of unity among ourselves as we follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and with one mouth we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'll ask you again, how are you going to respond to disputes? When Jenny or Jack or Joan or John walk into this church, how, how do you respond to the person who acts differently and thinks differently? Are you going to judge them? Are you going to analyze them theologically? You're going to patronize them, bully them, or accept one another. Accept those who Christ has accepted. It was Wesley who said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. That's my prayer for us as a church. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for the gospel that unites us. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that forgives us. We thank you that we are justified and forgiven. And we thank you, Father, for teaching us so clearly about the essential doctrinal truths. Lord, when it comes to disputable matters, please would you keep this church loving one another. Forgive us for times when we bully each other or we judge each other. Forgive us for times when our behavior causes someone that you love and have died for to stumble in their faith. Please help us to continue to accept one another in love. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm conscious that's a possibly controversial message, so if you've got any questions, now's a chance to stick up your hand and to ask me any question you want. Or you can jot down a question on your sheet. Brad. Yeah, great question. So how, the question is, how do you educate the person and help them to grow in their, in their maturity? Um, 
It's interesting, in, in chapter 16, and we'll look at this next week, 16 verse 7, he says, when it comes to error or doctrinal error, you must correct that. So some, if somebody is teaching untruths, you sit down with them, you correct them. If somebody um, is grappling with a, a particular conscience issue, I don't know what it might be, take, take the food laws, then you can sit with them and you can sit down with the scriptures open and always, always open the Bible, always point to the word of God and allow the spirit of God and the word of God uh, to educate them, to change them, to show actually you do have freedom in Christ. But he's talking about the way that you act towards them. You know, if the person who thinks differently to you sits in this building and you blatantly tuck into your, your stake without having had that conversation with them, or if you had the conversation with them and, and, and they, still, they still don't get it, you've chatted with them and they still don't get that they're free to eat anything, the, the loving thing to do is in their presence, you don't eat your steak. You don't eat your pork or whatever it is. You know? But you continue to say, allow the word of God and the spirit of God to actually show them the food they have in Christ. So it, it, it's not saying that you don't want to mature people and grow people, it's, it's the manner in which you do it. So don't write them off as... You're wrong, I'm right. What else? Any other questions? Kate. Is that a question or a comment? So, a, a question over what, what is the disputable matters? Um, I think I've, I've tried to say it is not doctrinal. So, he spent 11 chapters teaching us about sin and about grace and justification and election and assurance and the work of the Spirit. And so, those are not disputable. So, the Word of God is clear on that. Uh, it's not talking about. Um, lifestyle matters where the scripture is clear. You know, when, when God says, um, do not be greedy, you know, when the person who is unrepentant and you've sat with them and you say, look, you're really struggling with greed, he says, I don't care. You know, that's not a disputable matter. Actually, that's someone who's blatantly disobeying the scripture. But there's lots of areas of the Bible which you know, stylistic things or... Um, Take, take the alcohol one. I mean, it's pretty clear with alcohol that, that uh, alcohol, which leads to lack of self-control, is a bad thing. Yeah? And alcohol is very dangerous when, it's, when you have overconsumption. And so some Christians say, no, you shouldn't drink at all. And other, bit, other Christians say, you know, a little bit is okay. Little bit is okay. So that's kind of the, the disputable matter I'm talking about, where you can say, yep, I, I respect your decision not to drink at all. And I respect your decision to drink in moderation. Those, those kind of matters, I think. Uh, it, it is hard to apply this chapter because the food laws and the, the festival days are, are no longer particularly relevant. Well, the, the Sabbath might be. You know, there are Christians who say that their kids shouldn't do sport on the Sabbath. Um, and the Christians who say, no, it's okay. They're the kind of issues, I think. So not doctrine, not lifestyle where the scriptures are clear, but there's lots of grey areas where it's not black and white. Brian. 
Yep. Um, you, you've got to, the question is to do with drinking alcohol. You can say by drinking alcohol you might cause your brother to stumble, uh, but equally by drinking alcohol you might create an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Uh, you, you've got to be, be just wise and discerning as to who, who you're with. Now, if you're with a bunch of other Christians who you don't know particularly well, then I, I use my family as an example. Now, we have people have dinner people in church have a dinner, we choose not to serve alcohol because we don't know where people are at when they come to dinner. If people bring a bottle of wine and they bring a bottle of alcohol, we're happy to open it. Okay? So when you're with Christians, it's just been discerning and loving towards them. Sure, when you go out with a bunch of unbelievers, I'm happy to have a glass of wine if it's a way of breaking down a barrier to have a conversation. But You've got to think about your Christian brother and sister saying, I'm actually loving them by um, choosing selfishly to do what I particularly want to do. That, that, I think that's, that's a particular issue. But at the root of us, we can be quite selfish and say, I want to do this, and so I'm going to do this without thinking about the impact it has on other, other people.